when your mindset shifts to a more positive mindset, everything in your life starts to shift as well. Because in life, we have two options. We can choose the path of fear, or we can choose the path of love. And now. <laughs> Coming to you from the K2 studios in San Diego, California. This sounds great. You sound amazing. I always sound amazing. It's the world famous. Everybody sit off like BFS. Chris and Christine Show. Hey, what's happening? How are you doing today? Thank you so much for being here. And I am Chris. And I'm Christine. And welcome to episode 178 of the Chris and Christine Show. Hallelujah. Welcome to 2024. Wow. I keep writing 2023 on everything, Chris. It's so confusing to me. Baby, I'm still writing 2019 on everything. (laughs) I can't. I cannot help you with that. I think after 2020, everyone's like saying, oh, we're into the third or fourth year of 2019. Here we go. Wow, 2024. I can't believe it. I mean, now I've officially lived in San Diego for eight years. Wow. I've lived in San Diego my whole life. I know. Thanks. All 25 of them. I know. Exactly. (laughs) Old man times two because you're like 500. What? Uh, Yeah. So 2024 is here. Has it, I mean, the first few days, has it been everything you thought it would be? You know, I'm on a brand new work schedule at work. Uh, Well, it's slightly different than the schedule I have now, but you know, it takes some adjustments going to it because I did know that I had to, my, because I'm going from one schedule to the other schedule, there's a little slight transition phase. Mm-hmm. And the transition phase didn't work in my favor. <laughs> Actually, I lost a day of a weekend. My weekend went from three days to two days. And it happened to be the New Year's weekend when that happened. Right. So, I mean, you're going, I mean, it always sucks to lose a weekend day. And I know you're probably thinking, Chris, you got three days of a weekend. I'm so jealous. I only have two or one. Three and a half. Uh, okay. Three and a half, like Christine says, but having, um, losing that and being used to having three days off every weekend and, and losing it for one weekend of the year, you know what? I'll take one for the team. I I'll, know, because you got five weeks of vacation now. I do. We'll check <laughs> that out. Amazing. 2024 is still going to you know better already when you said that. I know, but this is your first week of having the new schedule fully kicked in. So we got to have you home on Friday. Uh, so it's just kind of like an adjustment. It's my first week back to work um, on my new gig. And um, because we were off on Monday, Tuesday, I didn't have to go into the office at all this week. So it's like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I worked remotely and the kids aren't back to school yet. It's just been it's been kind of an off week. It's been interesting. You know, what's interesting is that as you go into any new year, it's, well, first off, it seems like everyone's slacking off from like December, middle of December, all the way through to like early January, January 1st, well, maybe January like 5th or 6th or whatever it is until everybody gets kind of like the swing of things. I know traffic is usually very light, you know, right around New Year's and because everybody seems to like either get where they're going or have traveled to where they're going or maybe they're coming back to where they're coming from. Right. Well, so on the memes all before New Year's and before Christmas uh, in the corporate space, because I follow all these people on Instagram that are like uh, corporate comedians, like they're comedians that, well, anyways, they're influencers, comedians that make fun of like corporate life. And so they call it circle back season. It's like, this is a season where everybody's emailing and saying, 
Um, yeah, this is a great topic to bring up. Let's circle back about it. That's something I always hear. Circle back. Yeah. What, what are the top five like uh, slogans you hear in the office space that people like me who don't work in the office space might not might hear as much? Right. So on that topic, there was another Instagram person that they had a quote unquote holiday party, and it was everybody was dressing up as their famous work workplace slogan. And so somebody was walking around with a circle on their back and it was oh, like circle, circle back. back. Yeah. And then there was somebody else that was like, um, let's table that until oh, nice. the like next that. meeting. So they were like walking around with a table on them. Nice, and then nice. Like, what was another one? They were really funny though. They were let's really put a funny. pin in that. Is oh that- yeah, let's put a let's put a pin in that. And they had a cork board on them. Nice. <laughs> and they had like all kinds of pins. And then what's another one that's uh, like that? Bathroom break. That'd be a toilet, no, maybe. No, no, no bathroom break is not a, a corporate. Oh, word. That's, as we say. I don't know. <laughs> no. Um, what was that? Let's simmer on that for a little bit. Like let's simmer for a minute. Yeah, let's simmer on that. Or um, yeah, table that for next time. So I heard that somebody was saying they're so sick and tired of hearing all those, you know, cliche, like, you know, office talk, like saying and slogans, but I'm not in the office space. So I don't, for me, it sounds fun, but I'm sure someone like you who's been in the office world for forever, you're like so sick of them hearing them and they, and they use them as like a crutch too. Like yeah. when, they're, when they don't know what else they're going to talk about in the meeting, let's circle back on that. Let's simmer on, let's simmer on that for a while. Let's just table mm-hmm. that idea. Uh, I think Greg had a good idea. Let's table that idea too. Mm-hmm. And uh, Susie, you're up next, but we're going to circle back with you. And um, Yeah, so- let's take some time to calibrate. That's another one. Like, oh. let's get calibrated um, or we need and, to align if, ourselves. If somebody said that at an office meeting, I kid you not, I'd be like, uh, what, do you, are we a mechanic shop? What exactly. are we doing? <laughs> so that's what they brought in. It's like this calibration thing for so. It's it's really funny, but yeah, we're out of circle back season and we're now into the new year, new you. Everybody's like, you know, it's always these this is when the the commercials start coming up about the um advertisements for the gym and things like oh, that. My goodness. Resolutions. That was and so all funny. That. I saw a meme of, it said gym owners in January and they're just standing on a stack of money. <laughs> <laughs> because that's when they get the busiest. It's all in January. But if you ever drive by a gym right now, they're probably pretty busy. But could wait maybe a week or two or maybe even until February. And it's like nobody there. You know, I, I hear the people that regularly go to the gym, the ones that are like all bulk, they work out every day of the year. Those guys are mad this time of year because they absolutely hate all like the regular you know, people that, you know, say they're going to do it for New Year's. They say this is going to be the year. I'm going to lose weight. This is going to be it, guaranteed. And they're only there for a couple of days. And they look so lost at walking around the gym. Like, what machines is what? I don't even know what I... But I think that those gym rats are the ones that make it discouraging for people that really genuinely do want to get in shape because they'll make comments or they'll, like, look at them like, oh, well, you you know, good luck with that. Hey, noodles, stop, stop. you want to bench press the, the bar? Get right. out of here, you know? <laughs> Right. And so I think that as we walk into a new year, just kind of being kind to one another, thinking of, you know, people are setting out their intentions for the year and they're doing their absolute best to be able to keep them. But making new habits and breaking old habits is really hard, especially if those people in the community you're trying to join aren't super welcoming. But you know, speaking of that, have you made any resolutions, Chris? This this is my absolute favorite year so far. Why? I absolutely love 24. Why? And, well, a couple things. 
Well, you know, 24, when I go to the roulette table, it's the number. Lucky number. The number I always put all the chips down when I play. I play 24 and all the chips, all the spaces around 24. So 18, 21, I think 27. Whatever chips, whatever areas are around 24, I like to play, especially 24, because that's my birthday is 24th. So 24 on 24, playing the casino 24. This is going to be great. I can't wait. Can we go to the casino? Um, on the 24th day of the first month of the year or when? That'd be crazy. It'd be amazing. Can you imagine? You, you know what? We should go on February 4th of 24. Then it's 2424. No way. It's yeah. on 2 and 4 and 24. 2-4. Or we could go 2-24-24. But it was funny. We were at the casino last time we were there and I sat down at the roulette table and I noticed a 24 on the little board for all the history of all the all the numbers that popped up. 24 was like three three times in a row, three or four times on the board. I was like, yes. And of course, it didn't win when I was playing, but I right. saw it on the board. I'm like, man, you know, and I, one time in Vegas, I actually won so much money using 24 as a number. I took like 25, 50 bucks and turned it into a thousand dollars in a few hours. And then you lost it all? No, I kept it. I was Ooh. super excited. I actually cashed out. I said, look what I just did. And I was like, yep, that's right. There's been many times where I've actually come away with, you know, five, six, seven hundred dollars worth of chips away from the table. And has happened in a while that I think about it. Right. So 24, how many, 24 is my year. How many other times have you played 24 and lost? See, you only 24 remember, times. That's exactly. You remember the three times you won and then you've forgotten like the 72 that you've lost. Oh, remember, do you remember telling you the story how the first time I won uh, in Ed Roulette ever in my entire life? Oh. I was walking, I was in Laughlin, first time ever going to a casino, uh, you know, and I was walking by the roulette table and I was just peeking over the table like, oh, what's this game about? I wonder if they, what do we play here? And the guy's like, hey, you want to play? And I'm like, um, yeah, I'm just kind of watching. You know, you, you know, when you go to the table, you're not sure how the game plays. You kind of just watch and observe. And it's just very simple. You just, you know, you put, you put the money down, you pick a number or a color or whatever. And you kind of, you know, you, put, you know, you spin the wheel and the ball drops the thing, whatever it lands in, you win. If it lands in your thing. Okay, well, here I got three bucks in my pocket. Okay, I'll throw them on. Um, what's that number at the top? The zeros. He's like, yeah, you can bet it there if you want to. Yeah, let's put it on double zero, whatever. So the ball spins, it goes around, and then it lands and it hits double zero. My very first time playing, it hits. I win like over 100 bucks, just like that. And I was like, oh, oh, I should play this more often. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was hooked, and there we are ever since, so... Well, I love the game of roulette when we're playing it in the casinos, but definitely not with our life. And when we're talking about starting a new year, I was wondering, like, do you have any specific goals that you've set for yourself for this year? Well, I'm glad you asked, babe. So as we go into 2024 here, I am thinking about figuring out a way to get podcastic audio you get it like my services and you may possibly get more clients on the books. Listen, if you need uh, podcasting services, you need someone to record, edit and produce your podcast, hit me up, you know, I'll take care of you. I'll hook you up. So I am working with my clients now and they absolutely love my services. They, they do. They absolutely love what I do for them. I make it very easy for them. All they have to do is show up and just chit chat and talk away. Mm -hmm. And I, I handle the rest. Don't you worry about any of that stuff. And um, so that's always been fun. I'm thinking about maybe if I can possibly go to an actual podcasting conference, that would be amazing. I would love to do that. The closest one I can think of is in uh, Los Angeles. There's one coming up. There's one in Florida probably happening right now as we record this. 
And I think there's there's a bunch all over the country, all over the world. There's podcasting events. And I want to go there and meet people that, that um, you know, I, I, I've met virtually through podcasting like this. But to meet somebody in person, to meet, you know, face-to-face, talk to somebody about podcasting, it's like, it'd be like a dream for me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Hanging out my peeps, you know? Absolutely. So, okay. Interesting idea. I I completely want you to be able to do all of that stuff. But I was watching uh, just the other day on an Instagram reel and it was this couple and they have decided to get very strategic about how they approach planning their year. I thought it was an idea. I wanted to run it past you and see what you think. But what they do is they take a day without their kids and they go to a workspace like with like whiteboards on the wall and they spend a day doing strategic planning for their year together. And they have categories like financially, what are their goals that they're setting as a couple? What are their individual professional goals? What are their goals for uh, how they want to grow? Whether it's like, um, I don't know what all the categories were, but the whole idea is like they're setting their intentions for the year and then it helps them map out all of their activities that they're doing and whether they're taking them closer to their goal as a couple or further away. And I was thinking about, you know, here we have your podcast, we have our podcast, we have our business, we have our marriage, we have our parenting relationship with our kids. And we have all of these things and we kind of, I mean, we've built them in they're going strong and we are having successes with them. But I don't think that we've ever really sat down to get really strategic about what we want in like a longer cycle than just what's on the horizon for the next month. And I was wondering how you would feel about us having a strategic planning session for us as a unit. I absolutely love it. Although I, I do appear to fly from the seat of my pants uh, quite a bit. And <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of how I've lived my entire life. But honestly, though, I think good structure helps me out personally. Um, know where I'm going and, and kind of like a roadmap of what's happening next. I, and I think that, especially with work too, with my job, everything's so like systematic. Like we have steps that we take in place. That's probably why I've been so good at it is because I have the ability to actually go step one, two, three, four, and not just jump from one to five to step four to step 10 to step whatever, like a lot of guys do when they get all kind of you know, chaos and stuff. Mm-hmm. I have to be very systematic when I do things. You do. And that's how I operate. Maybe it's ADD in me. Maybe it's the Asperger's. I don't know. It's, you do not have Asperger's. Don't are you even, sure? Are you don't, sure? Yes. Don't even go there. Please. Well, listen, I'm not a doctor. Only you are. So um, you don't. But anyways, you. don't okay. bring that up. Okay. So I'm saying my disabilities help me when I have to do things in a particular order, especially even with the podcasting stuff. When I have to record, edit, and release an episode, I do things one, two, three, four. They all have their step. They all have their place. And I know what they are off the top of my head and, and I could do them. So if you tell me what our steps are, for the year, I'll have a better idea, so I can approach it. You know, and I would bring, I can bring my awesome sauce to this whole thing, right? And so I think what I'm talking about is not me telling you what the plan is, but us sitting down together 
kind of like when I was talking last week on the episode about how I'm part of this new team at work and we're like forming together and starting to come up with like, what is it that we want to do? Um, so I'm going through this in my professional role right now where we're inventing this new team that we've all been appointed to. And instead of just going in and everybody taking on the same roles they had before, we really are looking at this as starting from scratch and coming up with, you know, what are the things that served us well in our previous roles? What do we want to to question whether or not it has a place moving forward? And I don't think that very many couples do this, but I thought this was really unique. And I wish that I remembered who it was I saw on Instagram that did this so that I could give this couple credit. But I was wondering, especially for couples that they don't work together, but they're building. I mean, we're really, we've said from the beginning, like building a marriage relationship, of course, there's the love and the dynamic, but you're also trying to build something sustainable that you're building generational wealth. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to break generational poverty, which our parents have, um, you know, stepped out of to give us a better life. And we always want to do better than the generation before us because that's why they sacrifice so much. And it's like, are we, are we approaching this in a random way or are we being a little bit more strategic about it? And so as I'm starting 2024, I've really been thinking about that is like, what is it going to take for us as a couple to be Maybe maybe the word is intentional. Maybe that's my word for the year. Intentional, intentional sounds- about the way we grow. Oh, okay. Like, uh, so basically it's like you're, I guess you're kind of, yeah, I guess intentional is probably the word I'm thinking of maybe, you know, versus just kind of like throwing things at the wall and see what sticks. Yeah, I think so. Because what happens is, you know, so we have our business, we have my business, our business um, and the event planning. And what tends to happen is I'll get an inquiry for a wedding and it looks great. It looks amazing. And, you know, it's, I see it as it's a great opportunity and it's income, which gets us towards our income goals. But what I don't always do is step back and look at how that aligns with any goals that we've set as a couple, which can come in conflict with as we're growing the podcast, opportunities to podcast where we end up, maybe I plugged up the only weekend that we have to, um, not that we do this, but if we did batch recording because we didn't have any other time to podcast that month. And so then we end up going a month without podcasting. And I'm just thinking like, what would the, how would it benefit us? Because we've never tried this before to set some annual goals and intentions for our relationship and say like, by December 31st of 2024, what are the things that we want to be true of what we've accomplished collectively? I actually do really enjoy that idea because it gives you a target to look forward to and a target to meet because like, I think I work best with deadlines. You know, yeah. if there's a deadline, most people do. If they, if they know, it, it's funny, someone said this years ago, I've heard about this, is that uh, back in college, if you had we're given like, I don't know, two weeks or three weeks to do a term paper or paper, whatever it is, you'll put it off, put it off, put it off. And then, and then you feel you run out of time and then you kind of like slack off. Next thing you know, you're kind of scrambling to get it done last minute and you're stressed out because, you know, you, know, you feel like you don't have enough time to do it. But 
if you were given two days of that same term paper, you'd get it done. And I'm the opposite person. When I'm given the term paper assignment, I immediately sit down and I start to gather all of the research and I get everything organized. And then I start putting all of the pieces together and rework it so they really understand it. So it's like two very different approaches. And what I feel like can happen in life is, you know, people wait until they're retired or they're like a a year or two before retirement before they start thinking about things like retirement. And then they realize, oh, well, there's things we could have been doing for the last 30 years to financially and uh, to financially prepare for the future and then set themselves up for success. And I feel like, you know, with you and I, we've both been through divorces. We've rebuilt ourselves from that. We have built a really solid family structure here. We're now, you know, several years into our marriage. We're past the quote unquote honeymoon phase where we're kind of building, like not everything is so new where, you know, we're still learning new things about each other, but for the most part, we've heard each other's stories, you know, like five or six times over again. And now they're so great. I know, but what can happen (laughs) is in a relationship, when you start to get into your stride, if you're not careful, you start to get complacent. And you start to get um, predictable. And so I guess what I'm wondering is, I, I maybe I'm asking you to to grow with me. Baby, I'll grow with you. Yeah? I'll grow for you and I'll grow with you and I'll grow oh, for... Yes. I love that. I just feel like as I've been reflecting on moving into this year, I've really been thinking about mindset and about... Uh, how to set myself on this pathway of growth. And I can't do that independently because I'm not just me, it's an us. And so I don't ever want to be in a role where I'm trying to drag you along to grow with me. So I guess my question is, Chris, do you want to grow with me in 2024? Oh, 2024 is my year, baby. Of course I do. You know, you you bring the roadmap, I'll bring the gas. Let's go. Um, And I'm saying... <laughs> If I'm not being clear, we're going to build the roadmap together. (laughs) No, I don't want you to just be the driver, honey. You got to put the work in. So this is okay. We got to sit together. I need a roadmap to the roadmap. So we'll see how this goes. We're going to figure this out. Everybody, we're going to see what uh, our collective strategic plan for 2024 looks like. But, you know, it really got me thinking because recently we talked with a guest who's actually going to be part of this episode about having this um, approach of thinking about our life and our lifestyle and what it is that we want to have come to pass and looking at not just career, but looking at personal growth and looking at emotional and physical well-being and how all of those things intersect. And it really made me start thinking about, you know, if we if we haven't set intentions for ourselves as a couple in our household, then how do we know that the activities we're doing line up with that? And so, you know, one of the things I started to think about is in 2024, maybe I need to get back into therapy. And I was like, well, what's my purpose for therapy? Is it just to go invent or is it to help me grow in some way? Cause I don't need, I don't need somebody to just be a sounding board for me. I'm going to go to therapy then I want to know what the outcome is going to be. I want to set some priorities of how I want to grow as a result of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean having having a finish line that you're looking at is, is a good. It helps 
everybody out because otherwise you're just going through the through the task. You're just treading water. It's all you're doing. You're not going to land. You're just treading water just to tread water. Absolutely. And so this week on our podcast, uh, we have a fantastic guest who's going to be talking with us about lifestyle, about mentorship, about growth, around mindset. We're going to be back with him right after this. Are you in the middle of wedding planning and feeling overwhelmed? There's no need to fret, my friend. Christine Smith Designs is here to rescue you. Offering wedding planning, coordination, and wedding floral design services, let us help relieve your stress and make your wedding day dreams a reality. Visit us at christinesmithdesigns.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-I-N-E smithdesigns.com and request a free consultation. You'll be so glad you did. Welcome back, everybody. Today, we have another fantastic VIP guest with us. He is a holistic life empowerment mentor and a podcast host just like us. Welcome to the show, Constantine Morum. Thank you so much, Chris and Christian. It's a such a pleasure to be here with you and your audience. Cannot wait for our beautiful conversation. Hey, Constantine, how are you doing today, buddy? How's your uh, Saturday doing? Oh, it's excellent. It's excellent. It's, in fact, my partner and I celebrated six years today. So nice. It's been a good day so far, right? It, you know, it could be worse. That's amazing. Now, where yeah. in the world are you joining us from today? I'm all the way in Canada and on the East Coast in Nova Scotia, Halifax. So that's kind of like an hour or so from Boston if I were to take a plane flight. Oh, that's amazing. I've always wanted to travel and see the different landscapes of Canada because I've heard that it's like very diverse, that you have like very green areas and of course, like very wintry types of landscapes. What? How would you characterize the Nova Scotia landscape? I would say if you've ever been to Maine, It'll be very, very similar to that landscape. So you have hills, no mountains to speak of. You have the ocean, but the geography is beautiful because like most of Canada and parts of, um, I would say, northern and eastern USA, when the fall comes in, you get all those beautiful colors. Yes. And for us, this time of year is when we get those colors. So it's magical. And today we we had about, what, I want to say 75 degrees outside. So it's gorgeous. Uh, do you, when do you guys start to see your snowfall? When does it come in? So in this part of Canada, maybe December, but usually January. I, I lived that for a long late. time. That late? Really? Yeah. In Ontario, I lived for a long time, right? So it's a bit more central, farther north a bit. And they would have it there more in you know, November, December time frame. Wow. Yeah. I heard that there's a heat wave going through the East Coast. One of my friends uh, works in New York City and lives in New Jersey and posted today that it's 81 degrees. And that is like insanity for this time of year. Yeah, I mean, I remember Halloween most of my life in North America for the last 23 years, and it's never been above like 60, maybe 65. And today, like you said, it got it probably got up to 80 for sure. Wow. 80 degrees, really? That's insane. Well, we are in the opposite side of North America over in San Diego. And I would say it's kind of a pretty mild day, probably 70s over here. So I guess you all are getting the brunt of the heat right now. And we're uh, feeling a little bit more fall-like. But unfortunately, we rarely get to see fall colors because so many of our trees Uh around here are either like hardy desert-like kind of trees like palms and uh, succulents 
or they are evergreens and they just don't shed their leaves. So I've always been envious and wanted to see the fall changing of the colors of the East Coast. That is beautiful. Actually, in fact, a couple of weeks ago, I was in North Carolina in the Appalachian Mountains for the first time. Oh, wow. And that's when the season began to change and the colors began to to come in. It was, oh my God, breathtaking, breathtaking, even more so than what I live right now in Nova Scotia. Well, so you mentioned that you've lived in North America for about 23 years. Uh, Mm -hmm. Where did you originally move or where were you born and raised up until that time? Yeah, so I was actually born and raised in Eastern Europe. Eastern Europe. So what country would that be? Romania. 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 Okay, nice. So I'm, you know, the country of Dracula. That's what people (laughs) know it now. Halloween. Here we come. Yeah. (laughs) There we go, right? Um, You know, you can visit the castle and whatnot where um, you can see some, you know, beautiful landscapes and (laughs) how they used to live back in the day. But yeah, I, I, I was raised in Romania until I was about 17. And that's when my parents made the decision, hey, you know what? We want to give you and your brother a better life. So let's immigrate to North America. And Canada happened to be the first one that accepted our application. And we moved here. Interesting. So, Constantine, what is Romania famous for? (laughs) What's Romania famous for? I mean, the people are very nice. The geography is beautiful uh, across the country. So it's a country that if you have a chance to visit, I would just visit for the food and the geography. Because on one side of the country, we have the sea and the delta, one of the most biodiverse places in the world where you can see thousands of types of birds and fish and insects and everything else. And then on the other side, where I was born, you have more of you know, the plains, so to speak. And in the middle is the mountains, the Carpathian Mountains. And Romania as a country, if we go back historically, was one of the countries that held up to the Turkish Ottoman Empire whenever they would fight, right? They were conquered often, but they also put up big fights. So Romania is known for amazing monasteries, cathedrals that, you know, date back hundreds, thousands of years, many castles that date back to when the Ottoman Empire was was big. So from that point of view, they're known, you know, for that big time. And as I mentioned, Dracula, of course, <laughs> the famous tale of Dracula, that's where it originated. But wasn't uh, Romania and Eastern Europe, weren't they kind of a, in a communist uh, regime? That's a, that, a great point there, Chris. Absolutely. So, in fact, when I was born in 83, Romania was still a communist country. It wasn't until 89 when there was a big revolution and they toppled the communist government and then we went to democracy. Right? And there was a bit of a shift. So, the first seven or so years of my life were under this uh, communist regime and I don't remember much because I was very young, but from what I know from my parents and family and whatnot, it was a time of uh, scarcity and poverty across in you know the, the entire country. Yeah. So, you know, living in the United States, we have you know, history classes and things like that that we have to go through in elementary, middle, and high school. Mm-hmm. And communism, we learn a little bit about it in high school, but it's only in relationship to... Russia and what they referred to as the Red Scare and the arms race. And so I feel that a lot of Americans don't have a true picture of what it is to 
live in a communist environment. And I know you were young, but can you talk a little bit about what that experience was like and how it shaped your life? Absolutely, Christy. That's a, that's a great question. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't realize how much it impacted and shaped my life until much later in my adulthood. Like I was probably 30 or, you know, even older when I started to realize the impact it had on me. And of course, my family and everything I knew about the world. And at the time of the communist government, it was, of course, Russian influence, right? So there was a lot of Russian influence. I remember my parents, they were telling me that growing up, they had to study Russian in school. Now, by the time I made it to school, the requirement was gone. So we didn't have to study Russian. But you would get a lot of the influence from, from Russia all the way to Romania, right? And what I remember and what I was told is that it was a time of scarcity because Romania, like other countries in the Terra, were trying to, for example, get rid of all the debt they had. And to get rid of the debt, you had to export a lot of goods. But that meant you didn't have enough for the people in the country. Oh, wow. So there was a lot of poverty. There was a lot of people not having the basic needs, which is what eventually led to the revolution, or at least one part of it, right? So there was a lot of that happening. And I would say there's also a lot of fear-based behavior. The best way I can describe this, and we can go into this a bit deeper if you'd like, is this idea of a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset. And what I mean by that, when you're talking about a fixed mindset, is the idea that if you were to make a mistake, and all of us are humans, so we all make mistakes, is to actually be hidden, is to be punished, is to be you know put in the closet and not looked at again. And at the same time, a fixed mindset is all about you, 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 and building that ego up and not necessarily showing your true self to the world. Because mm. again, if you were to show your true self, then you'll be judged, maybe ostracized, maybe punished in some way or some form. And those influences were very heavy in my life at the time. Like I remember now looking back because I know better how I, I was raised, I was raised by my grandparents as my parents had to work crazy, like, you know, 16 hour days for very, you know, five, six days in a row. Wow. Right. So then I had to be raised by my grandparents and one of them was retired. But yeah, these, these influences were there all the time. And we can talk more about that if it's of interest, but that's kind of a quick summary. So as the communist, the communist government can, came to an end and your country was going through this stage of uh, wrestling with how to establish democracy. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds like that was more of when you were in school, like an, a school age child. And, um, and it sounds based off the timeline that you shared that maybe it was about 10 or so years into that when your parents decided to relocate. And you mentioned that they wanted to have a uh, better opportunities for you and your siblings. So, why was that? Did the poverty and scarcity continue even under the democracy or was there a different reason contributing to why they wanted to move? Christine, I, I love the question so much. It's something I don't talk about enough and I, I feel like it's something that's that's important uh, for people to know and understand of how some parts of the world work. So when the communist wall fell down, right, in, under communists, Everything was owned by the government, essentially, right? right? And then people just worked on it. Well, like in Russia, 
you may or may not know this, right? Once it fell, like once uh, once the the communists fell, then what started to happen is people started to essentially take over different parts of the country, like various industries and whatnot, and then appropriate them, so like put them under their name and sell them to interested parties in the West. So a lot of people became very rich very fast, which meant there was a lot of corruption. Right. A lot of corruption. So what that meant for my family, for example, my father in Romania was a uh, professor at a university in town as an engineer. My mother was a civil engineer and they wanted to make an honest living. They started a business shortly after the country became democratic, but you couldn't actually grow as a business or anything unless you bribed left and right and you actually play the game with always, you know, giving something to someone so they can help you out. I remember an example, I'll give you one here that, that sticks to my mind a lot is they had some friends that were doctors, right? And you could, you know, if I felt bad, you would go to the, you could go to the hospital and you would, the healthcare was pretty good. But if you wanted a doctor to come to your home, right, you would have to take out quite a bit of cash and give them money. Right? It wasn't like, oh, I'm your friend, I'm going to come help you out. There was always like almost um, a requirement that you had to pay. And that happened with anything you wanted to do. And that's based, of course, my understanding at least, in the mindset of scarcity, right, from before. Right. Because as a doctor, you might have not been paid very well. Right? Really? So then how you do these things on the side? Absolutely, yes. You know, so they would do like back. side jobs, really, for uh, anybody who needed yeah, kind of it? Yeah, it wasn't even a side job. Like I remember an example. It's like, oh... You know, let's say I'm coming down with something. So my parents call the doctor they knew. And they're like, okay, I will come over. And I don't know the intricacies of, you know, if they, they agreed a fee before or not, but I always remember seeing my mom hand the money at the, at the end for them coming over or for us going over to just be looked at or, you know, get a shot or do anything of, of nature. And I'm giving you an example with the doctors because I've seen that, but it was the same with anything, like a mechanic or anything like that. And I understand that you want to reward people for spending their time. But if you're talking about building relationships and people, like I imagine if I would be a doctor and I could help someone and I already made a good amount of money, then I, yeah, sure, I can help. And I feel that this part, that part was missing for a lot of people or they would just wanted to get further ahead to, to provide for their family. But under a communist regime, I guess that mindset's probably not even, like you don't even think about that because yeah. w- w- wouldn't the government kind of step in and take it from you anyways? Well, for the most part. But if you, you know, if you kept it in the closet, so to speak, if you kept it yes. out of bed, right, so then people would accumulate that way, as far as I know. But again, I was too young to to truly realize how poor everyone was around me and including including us. I mean, we weren't rich by any means, but we we were like lower middle class after the revolution because my parents both had the jobs and having a business on the side. So then they got to the point where they wanted you as a family to relocate. And now you find yourself mm-hmm. as a teenager in North America, trying to adjust to a completely new culture and a new system. And if I'm correct, it was either right before you graduated high school or right after you graduated high school. was Is that an accurate timeline? Yeah, I was kind of actually in the middle of my uh, high school era, right? Because I was 17, so I just finished 
grade 10 in Romania. And I, then we moved to Canada in, in September of that year. So I started school right away. They put me at the time in grade 12, but they were doing great. They were doing 13 grades in high school at the time in, in Canada. So they put me in grade 12. Now the mathematics, for example, and physics and chemistry I came with from Romania held me until fourth year of university, I believe, because we did very advanced stuff in Romania, at least the high school I was in. But I didn't know any English. I didn't speak any English. That's got to be tough. Yeah, it was very tough. And I didn't know much at the time. I I didn't want to move to Canada, right? It was a decision my parents made. I had all my friends. I had my high school sweetheart back in Romania at the time. Everything I knew was there, right? And I imagine it was very tough for them, but they, they, they held strong for us. And it was a tough adjustment period. Anything from weather, from language, from the people you interact with, from the diversity, which I was not used to, the way schooling was done, everything was different. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense that it was quite the adjustment. And so a little bit of my background uh, for my day-to-day job, I work in education and my area of focus is working with um, educators who are working with individuals that are learning the English language that have recently immigrated. And one of the things that we continue to remind all of the educators that we work with is, especially for our older students that come to America, um, not knowing the English language is not making an assumption about what they do or don't know. It's just an inability to communicate in the language of the land. And so how was that experience for you coming in at 17 years old, having all of this advanced knowledge in uh, mathematics and science, but struggling to get your voice heard in this learning environment because you couldn't access the language? Well, first off, Christine, I, I want to say I appreciate the work you do because it's such an important message to send across. Because when I came here to Canada, I struggled with it, like, like you just mentioned, not only that, but I was also very judgmental of other people based on how I grew up and everything I knew. Mm-hmm. And I I was in what you would call an ESL or English or second language class or multiple classes with people from all over the world. And I felt like I, I was alone. There were a couple of other people from Romania. And then when I went to my normal classes, like let's say math or the English classes or any other classes... It felt like a very long time because people, especially I want to say Canadians of first generation, second generation, they had their cliques and they wouldn't hang out with, with newly arrived immigrants, right? There was a stigma around it, at least back then, at least the way I felt it. So in fact, looking at my high school time, the only friends I, I made as someone that was slightly introverted with not a good grasp of English in the first year or so, were mostly other Romanian kids. That makes sense. Yeah, it happens almost anywhere. You know, any any yeah. high school, any school, you'll notice that the the kids that are usually they like especially Hispanic kids around here in San Diego, we're so close to the border. They mm-hmm. usually you know click together and they and they speak their native tongue to each other and things like that. I'm sure it happens with all kinds of cultures, no matter yes. where you are in the world. Yeah. And what, what surprised me the most, and we're seeing this a lot in Canada now, but I'm assuming USA is not much different in that regard, is that at least, okay, I came to Canada, we were living in an apartment building, 
that was close to another three apartment buildings. So these are big, like 20-story apartment buildings. And like 80% of the one we were in were just Romanian immigrants. And the one next door, 80% Croatian immigrants. Then the other one was like 80% Serbians, right? So it's like very divided because people, I mean, like to hang out with people like themselves, right? And it's very hard to integrate at the beginning at least. And unless the government or society puts in the effort to try to integrate people, you'll end up having these cliques within, let's say, cities and then eventually countries. And that's what we're seeing in Canada as well. I I liked to hang out with as many diverse people as I could. So I was in the minority. I was one of the few people that would hang out. I didn't care your skin color or where you were born or what language you spoke. If I saw you as a human being and I could interact with you and I would have fun, right? But I saw a lot of other people that made no effort to integrate outside of their groups. And you see it all over the place, which means that your grasp of the language, your grasp of the grasp of the culture, or what society likes or doesn't like in a specific place, those, those are nowhere to be found. And that then impact, impacts everything else. That makes a lot of sense. So as you were going through this in school, what was the experience like for your parents? Because you mentioned that they both had backgrounds as engineers, which, mm-hmm. you know, in the American culture, we know that's a very challenging degree to be able to actually accomplish something like 15 to 20% of the students that actually start in an engineering program complete it because it's so rigorous. But if your parents were immigrating and had the language as a barrier, my, my questions are, first of all, were they able to continue in that line of work in like where their degrees recognized And then how was it for them in being able to be seen as the professionals they were? Love the question. And two things come to mind. We can answer your question as well in in a second here. The first thing that comes to mind is looking back at myself right at the time, because I was going through whatever I was going as a teenager, I didn't even care what my parents or my brother were going through. And I didn't even realize how tough it must have been for them until much later when when I stopped and thought about it for a second. And they they knew some English, but broken English, but they knew some so they could communicate. And my father, before we left Romania, as I mentioned, he was a professor at the university, plus had his own business. And he had a PhD, so he had all the certifications, everything else. And that was recognized here in Canada. He's um, a hardware engineer, so working with all the hardware components. And he got a job pretty quickly in a company. I think actually as a developer, if I'm not mistaken. My mother, though, she was a civil engineer back in Romania and she couldn't really find anything here. So, And she didn't really like being a civil engineer. It was one of those things of, of life where you go to school based on what your parents want more than anything else or whatever is available at the time. And that's kind of what she did. She went to civil engineering. And funny enough, that story repeated with me because when it was time for me to go to university, my parents had a big influence, especially my father. And they're like, oh, engineering is the way to go. And I was really good at math and loved math. And when I applied for universities, I got accepted to like, I don't know, five or six different ones. And then when I had to pick based on what my parents wanted, I picked engineering. Mm. And I did two years of that, didn't like it. And oh, I switched really? to mathematics. What kind yeah. of engineering did you go into? Like, what were you doing? I went the same as my father. So computer engineering, specifically hardware engineering. 
Oh, yeah, like so you're designing the new iPhone or what? <laughs> yeah, so what, well, my father actually, he's uh, even now he still works, he loves it. He works with wearable devices. So he designs anything like, you know, fancy watches that can read your heart rates and do all kinds of measurements or heart devices. And now he's working on a device for dogs and, and cats to monitor what they do. So it's pretty cool oh, stuff. Oh, I thought you were going to say he's developing a translator so that the dog can like, <laughs> he wants food or not. I don't know what he wants. You know what? Marketing. what do you want? <laughs> next step. That's the next step. Yeah, I would love to know what our dog is thinking. Um, maybe it'd right? be frightening. <laughs> oh, that would be amazing. I mean, I have two dogs and... If, yeah, we, really, if we really knew what they actually were thinking, I don't know if we could keep around. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, given how happy they are to see us and be with us, they must think happy thoughts. Because one thing I came to realize, Chris and Christine here recently, is that what we think is what we feel, what we feel is what we do, and what we do is what we have. So it all starts with a thought process. So I, I would say because my dogs are feeling happy all the time, they must be thinking good thoughts. If it's about food only, I don't know, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, so Constantine, we're going to transition just a little bit because we've dug mm -hmm. a lot into your background, uh, but we want to know about what it is that you do now. So we know that you started into school for engineering and somehow you've continued in the world of technology and change management, but you also have this other passion of being a life mentor and you have your own podcast. So what was your journey into self-discovery that led you into this world of life mentoring and to produce your, your Unleash Thyself podcast? Well, thank you for asking that, Christine. It's been a journey and it's one I love to share because I, I have found that I've learned a lot along the way and it feels like other people are going through similar scenarios and they can pick up an element or two they can apply to their life. So I always love to talk about this. Now, it's important to note that in my professional life, let's say from whenever I graduated high school, I started either being an entrepreneur, so I did many things around computers, from computer games. I even played poker professionally for a while and coached uh, poker professionally for almost a decade, including working for one of the top strategy websites for poker, and then I also went into the real world, I should say, because that's how my parents would call it or people around me. It's like, oh, you need a real job. So that's kind of how I went back into the corporate world. And I started as a developer, didn't like it, quickly moved into project management and organizational change management consultancy. And that's where you find me today. And my journey of self-discovery truly began about six years ago, I want to say, when it really took off, because that's when I joined Microsoft. And Microsoft is a company that a lot of people want to work in, but it's very tough to get in because they're filled with top performers and the top of the top performers get to join in. And I was fortunate enough and I did really well in the interview, so I, I got offered a, a role with Microsoft. But once I got in, I had to set the top of my game. I had mm. to always continue learning, which is something I always love to do anyway. But that was coming. I still had parts of me that were fixed in mindset, like quite a few actually, despite being almost, you know, in my early 30s and having learned a lot. And that's when truly I, I began understanding what the growth mindset is because the culture of Microsoft is all, all around growth mindset. I truly understood what it is. I was fortunate enough to get a couple of really good mentors within Microsoft. 
And that's what really kickstarted me on this journey of personal growth. And you mentioned self-discovery. I'll mention one thing really quick there before I pass it back to, to the two of you. What I didn't realize throughout my 20s and early 30s and as I began this journey is that I was always looking outwards for answers, for advice, for information. So be it mentors, coaches, parents, teachers, managers, leaders, podcasts, books, doesn't matter. I would always consume the content, implement some of it, some would work, some wouldn't, and I would go from there. Self-discovery is this idea that, wait a second, yes, you're consuming all this information, but until you look inwards, until you take a look at yourself and understand how you function, very little of the stuff that happens outwardly or a little bit of the stuff that you learn outside can truly be applied to you. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's like you have to know yourself first to be able to connect with any of that. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's that was a big aha moment for me because I always looked externally for validation, for confirmation, for information. And it doesn't mean that I, I never looked inwards at all, but it was very little and I never gave it enough thought, right? I would have ideas, I would create things, but I would always look externally. And when I realized that the true power resides within, that's when my personal development, professional development, you know, went exponential. So Constantine, do you think that that's something that a lot of people experience is where they spend more time focusing on external validation and um, finding their measurement of joy and success in what other people say versus filling up their own cup for themselves? I would uh, say yes, Christine, absolutely. And And I'll tell you why that happens, at least in my opinion, based on my own life. As we grow up in society, what are we shown? Well, you got to listen to your parents or caretakers. You got to listen to your teachers. You got to listen to your professors. You got to listen to the government, society, law, you name it. So it's always about I got to listen up to someone else, right? So if you're someone that doesn't question any of that, you know, you'll just go and follow the status quo. You'll just be another cog in the wheel. And that's how I was as well. But I also had the benefit of being someone that like to ask a lot of questions. Why is this that way? Why is this not this other way? And that allowed me to probe and probe and probe until I came to some realizations. Now, is it everyone that grows up to be like this? Absolutely not. But I've seen people with backgrounds that were born and raised in Canada having similar issues, people from Asia, Africa, South America, Europe, all over the place. Interesting. So as you were on this pathway to self-discovery, Constantine, when did it transition into desiring to support others on their journey? That's a, that's a good question, Christine. And I would say, so my desire to help others on their journey dates as far back as I can remember. And I'll, I'll tell you why and how it manifested in my life, but I wasn't necessarily aware of it. As I grew up, I was always the kid in at least my neighborhood they would gather all the other kids around and would play a game of soccer, whatever else we would play. I would uh, be the one that would learn a new game, let's say some cards, and then I would want to teach it to everyone around me so I can play with them. And then that turned into me tutoring mathematics and other sciences in high school in Romania, then high school here in Canada, then university here in Canada. And then, as I mentioned, that turned into 
coaching and mentorship in soccer throughout my life, but also the poker coaching I did. And then as I moved into the professional world, it was mentoring people in the professional world, either new employees coming in or younger employees and helping them through through the process. And I've realized last, well, about two years ago now, when I really sat down and tried to figure out my why, my purpose, like what's driving me, is that for me, what brings me joy and fulfillment is all about being in service to others. But it starts with me being in service to myself. Because as I mentioned, I like to learn stuff and then share it with everyone else. Well, so you can't, you can't teach from. if you don't know what you're talking about. You know, it's teaching one on one. Yeah, some people <laughs> do. <laughs> well, I mean, there's there, there's two ways you can look at this, right? You can teach theory, which a lot of people do. Okay, or you can teach right. Practice, right? Like you've you've gone through this, and you can teach that. And I, I can see. I'm not saying one is better than the other. They both have their place. But if you teach from a place of practice, from a place I've been there, this is what I've gone through it may help you to look at it this way, then you're empowering the other person to come up to their own conclusion as opposed to being like, hey, either I've studied this, so this is how it has to be, or I've done this, so this is the only way you can do it as well, which is unfortunately how society seems to work these days. It's like, oh, this is the only way you can do this because that's what worked for me, or this is the only way you can do this because that's what 50 years of history tells us. Yeah, absolutely. And so you started down this journey of really trying to help others look inward. Um, and now you you refer to yourself as a, a holistic lifestyle mentor. Is that the correct title? Well, I mean, that, that's a title that I, I came up with about a year ago now. It's a holistic life empowerment mentor and coach. And I'll explain that because I know when people hear that, they're like, ah, oh, that's a bunch of mumbo jumbo words. And it sounds like that. But I'll keep it simple. Why holistic? When I look at the idea of holistic is that it signifies that I personally recognize that everything is connected, meaning that your mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical aspects of self are connected. So if you want my help in, let's say, professional development, and more specifically, on how you show up in meetings or how you show up at work or how your resume looks like or how you show up to interviews. Perfect, we can work on that. But that's not independent of everything else that happens in your life. So for example, if you're someone that doesn't sleep more than four hours a night, it doesn't matter how much coaching I do with you to get your mental game to to a better state because your lack of sleep or adequate sleep is going to impact how you behave and how you act and how you interpret things. Right. And that's just one example. So when I look at the idea of holistic, it's just about, hey, let's look at the big picture. It's not just about one aspect of life. It's about how does it fit into the big picture or the big puzzle. And the life empowerment piece, it comes from the idea or rather is this emphasis that the objective is for me to help you uncover your purpose or why in life to help you follow your heart and overcome specific challenges, whether personal or professional. So it's empowering you in this life. Again, the, the word empower here is, is, is important, I would say, from my point of view, because I'm not here to tell you what to do in life. Can I? Sure, I can, I can tell you. But unless you come to your own answers, unless you come to what feels correct in your heart, in your mind, it's not going to stick. 
And if it, and not only is it not going to stick, but it's not going to bring you joy and fulfillment, which is what most people are after. That makes a lot of sense. Now, Constantine, with your mentoring, because it sounds like a, a lot of this has to do with helping people grapple with, you know, how they show up in their personal life, professional life, and where they find joy and fulfillment. How is your approach different from therapy when um, I think that therapists do a lot of that type of work of helping Mm -hmm. people reflect through their challenges? Like where, I guess, where do you draw the line where mentoring stops and people need more professional help in terms of like mental health clinicians? How do you draw that line? That's a great question, Christine. And I'll say, first of, first of all, I, I always tell people, if you're suffering from anything health-wise, being mental or otherwise, you always want to go to a professional and get their opinion, get their advice. And, and of course, have your own opinion and see if you resonate with what they say. Where I come in is where traditional, let's say, talk therapy doesn't go. Meaning that if, at least from my experience with therapists and those around me, and I've been to quite a few because I've had my mental health challenges in the past, and we can talk about those later as well if if you'd like. But if you look at how a lot of therapy is done these days, and again, nothing wrong with it. I've been there. Many people have been there. Lots of success. It's a lot about two elements that, that stick out to me. One is tackling one problem at a time, right? So it doesn't look at the holistic approach of the impact around it, at least from my experience. And the second part to it is that it's using a cookie-cutter approach, if I may. That may sound harsh, but what I mean by that is that they they study a lot in school, and I know that because my partner is just finishing up her degree in, to be a therapist, mm-hmm. so I know exactly what they go through. And they essentially say, okay, so you have these symptoms, this is the the, the treatment. What I've come to realize in life is that all of us are unique. So just because something worked for someone else doesn't mean it's going to work for me. Now, a variation of that may may work for me. But from the people I've had a chance to work with in terms of therapists and clinicians and, and psychologists, it feels to be very cookie-cutter. There's very little deviation to account for how unique I am versus how unique you are, Christine, or how unique you are, Chris, because all of us have had different childhoods, right? We've had different parents, different people teaching us things. So we have different everything, really. And what I would say, um, a a holistic mentorship or mentor can come in or coach is come in, look at it holistically and target things that don't necessarily have to do with health. Like I won't claim I, I can treat your PTSD or any mental health issue. That's not for me to to double in. I'm not a healthcare practitioner. There are experts that deal specifically for that. What I can help people in is, for example, aligning more with their why, their purpose, finding more of that in their life, setting up a plan on how to execute, setting up a roadmap. So it's actually understanding themselves better and then getting themselves to the next level. Now, in that process, is their mental health going to get better? Of course, if they stick and do their work, it's going to get better. Same with their physical health, same with their emotional health and spiritual health. But we're not targeting those specifically. Hopefully that, yes. Um, has When you talk to people about their why, you mentioned a why a few minutes ago, mm-hmm. 
Um, does their why change throughout the process of what they thought they their why was? Does it kind of evolve when working with you or talking to you? I love the question, Chris. And I would say that's a high level is yes. So most of us in our lives, we uh, we fall into a few camps from what I have seen. People that don't care what their why or purpose is, they just want to enjoy life and go about their life the way it is. Perfect, no, no harm done. Then there are people that may know what their why is, or at least part of it. And then there are people that don't know it and they're curious to find out. Now, the way I see it right now, after going through this process myself over the last few years, it's always evolving, meaning that I understand my why, or at least a, a part of it. But then we talked about this idea, I believe, with Christine, about the idea of getting to know yourself, know thyself. And as you get to know yourself better, your why evolves as well. So I guess that answers should answer both parts of your question there. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. it absolutely does. So as I'm listening to you, Constantine, and I'm thinking of my own background. So I've been a reasonably successful professional. I mm -hmm. have a business on the side that's thriving. Um, but what Chris and I have talked about a lot is like finding my purpose, you know, finding, I wouldn't say finding fulfillment in my job because I've kind of resigned to the fact that I need to not make my job be the thing that fuels me where it used to, like my career was my identity for a long time. Mm -hmm. And so here I am in my early forties wrestling with like, what is my purpose? My, um, so Chris and I, we together, we have three kids. So I have an 18 year old from a previous relationship. And then he has a 13 and 11 year old from his previous relationship. So my son, my biological son just, you know, went to college and I'm having this, like, I wouldn't say crisis of identity, but I think it's this like wrestling with who am I now that I'm not needing to actively parent this child slash teenager. And then professionally things are changing in my professional context. And it's almost like, I wouldn't call it a midlife crisis, but I think that it's like, what happens before people have a midlife crisis where it's a crisis of identity. So mm -hmm. for a person like me, let's say hypothetically, Constantine, I was to come to you and say all of this, like I'm struggling. I don't think I have a why. I don't know if I ever really did have one. I just kind of was in, you know, doing the professionally acceptable thing. Um, but I have all of these great things and I'm finding great success professionally and personally I just don't feel fulfilled by it. Like, how would you get started with a person like me? Well, Christine, first of all, thank you for opening up and the vulnerability you showed there. That's, I mean, it's amazing for you to share the story with me. And I would say what I would start there, there's a couple of things that stood up to me there. But, but first off, I would ask you this question. You likely spend a third of your life in your job. Correct? On average. Maybe let's say a quarter. Maybe two thirds. Like I spend a lot of time in my job. I work in education and for, I mean, I've been in it for 20 years already. And, you know, when I was kind of going through the, the trenches of uh, becoming an administrator, I would be at work 16, 17, 18 Ooh. hours a day. So like when I say it was the majority of who I was, it took up like 70 percent plus of my life. Okay. 
so I'll ask you a, a second question to that. So if you dedicate so much time to, to something, it doesn't matter if it's a job or a hobby or a family, shouldn't it bring you some form of joy and fulfillment? You would think so, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're spending time on it. Thanks, Chris. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, you would think so. And it did. For a, a while, it did. And then I think I just, there was things that happened that left me jaded. There was... I refer to it as, and you can use this term, I give you permission, occupational trauma, like things that happened due to leaders or um, organizational practices that inflicted harm on me as an individual that made me feel a bit wounded and skittish. And so I think that that's contributed to this, like, I wouldn't say lack of fulfillment, but this hesitancy to attach myself to my profession anymore. And as, as you're sharing the story, Christine, I, I can't help but think about exactly the scenario that I went through with my job in the last couple of years, what I felt that I put my entire you know, 20-year career into this moment to get to this, to climb the ladder, and then I wasn't finding the joy and fulfillment anymore because like in your case, some things happened, some people crossed the line, the company crossed the line, whatever the case might be. And that's what propelled me to find my why and purpose. And once I identified that, I had a choice. Do I want to find more of it in both my professional and personal lives? Or do I want to be picky and say, you know what, I'm going to ignore my professional life for a second and I'm going to focus on my personal life. And I tell you this much right now really quickly I was able to bring more joy and fulfillment in both my professional life and my personal life by just knowing what it is that drives me. What brought me the joy and fulfillment the first time I, I jumped into my career? And it sounds like you're in a very similar spot because if early in your career you were getting the joy and fulfillment, that means there was a why behind it. There was a reason you were getting that. And then that was taken away from you for whatever reason. We just need to uncover it again and say, okay, so what was driving me to have the satisfaction. And what was the layer below that? Because most people, I had a friend I was talking to recently and he asked me the same question. He's like, oh, I mean, how can you help me find my why? And I said, okay, tell me some things you're passionate about. Then what would you like to do? If, if money was no question, what would you do today? And he told me, well, I wish I was a professional soccer player, a professional basketball player. Right. But he's like in 35 and then he's saying, well, you know what? I can't be that anymore. So I feel bummed out. And I said, okay, you're looking at the how, you're not looking at the why. Because being a soccer player, being, a, being um, let's say in my case, a professional in the IT world specializing in artificial intelligence, is how you execute on something. It's not the why you're doing it to begin with. So coming back to your example, Christine, the, for, the next question I have for you is, let's take a look at your life. Let's take a look at some examples. And what was it that was driving you to, to work those 16, 17 hours a day? How much of it was because you were doing it for other people and how much was it because you were doing it for yourself? Because chances are, because you did it for so long, there was a part of it that was for you. Could it be that you wanted to be in service of others and the way you need to be in service of others is to show up for those 16, 17 hours to do the work for a lot of people? Yeah, like you're hitting the nail on the head right now. I was just, as I was thinking through your question that you you captured it perfectly. I was 
I felt that I was making a difference in people's lives. Like I, I had students that I was working with. I had teachers that I was directly working with. People counted on you. Yeah. And, and it was life changing work for students that, you know, when I worked at a school site and I saw them day in and day out. And I feel that, you know, I've, I've moved too many steps away from that. And so I guess what becomes hard is when you wrestle with that and you say, okay, well, that was what I wanted and that's what motivated me. And that's what I do in my side business. In my main job, I don't have access to people like that anymore. I'm working in data and working in systems and I'm struggling to figure out how to have that impact when that's not the way the system was designed So do I take 10 steps backwards and go back in my career to where I'm closer to the kids and risk losing everything that I've worked towards it, you know, as a leader to get to this title, quote unquote, status? Um, Or do I just continue to find that fulfillment elsewhere? And so I think, I mean, you've given me a lot to reflect on, but I can see how just the nature of the conversation through the mentoring can be very powerful because like you said, you didn't give me any answers. You just inquired into my background and my motivation. And it was just like a little switch went on. And I was like, oh yeah, that's what drove me. That makes sense. And that's the power in having uh, mentors, right? doesn't matter if you pay for them or not. That's, That's how I've gotten to what I am today. Not because I'm this brilliant person. Should I have my own gifts and talents? But it's because other people helped me see those talents when I couldn't see them myself. And it's good to have those people in your corner. Again, it could be someone in your professional life, in your family life, a friend, someone you pay for. Doesn't matter. And in everything you just said there, Christine, I mean, there's a couple of other questions that pop up. We can chat offline. I can I can give you some, some of my thoughts on it. But really what it comes down to is asking more questions. And it's not just why, it's more like what. So a question I would want you to ponder on is what what and how would life look different if you had a job where you you felt fulfilled and full of joy? How would life change then? What emotions would it bring up? What else would it bring up into your life? Abundance in which areas, right? Maybe less abundance in the material world because you mentioned you're worried that you may take a few steps back, but it might bring more in other areas. It may open up more corridors. And another thing I would leave you with as well is this idea of not being stuck on the how you deliver on the world because I heard you say that you're afraid that you would essentially take a few steps back if you went back to working with kids. But you're acting only on information that you currently remember. So like, you know that you've done that. But there are so many other ways to be in service. If let's say being in service and and having that impact is important to you, there are so many other ways. And I have found in my experience, again, personally, because that's where I look a lot and the people I've helped, is that once you truly align with what your why is and your purpose, all of a sudden, all these other doors open up that before to you, they looked like closed doors, but now they will look like open doors because you have much more alignment with yourself. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So now transitioning into what you do within your podcast, one Mm -hmm. of the recent episodes that I listened to, you were 
talking a lot about gratitude and gratitude practices. So um, how is it that you take your expertise from the change management and self-empowerment space and package that up for people in your podcast? I love the question, Christina. Thank you for uh, for listening to an episode there. And first, let's actually talk about what the podcast is about and how it came around. The name is Unleash Thyself. And essentially, when this idea of the podcast came to me, was once I identified my why. And at the time, I kind of boxed myself in and I said, I identified my why and I wanted to find the how. And in my professional life, back both in my entrepreneurial world and in, in actually the corporate world, I've done a lot of talking and coaching and interviewing and presentations, you name it, I've done it all. So I said, you know what? I know how to use my voice. And then I had stumbled upon some amazing people that have done some amazing stuff in, in life. I said, you know what? How can I use my voice to bring their voice to the world? And that's how the idea of the podcast came about. And it was all about personal growth, self-discovery, but, and this is where the gratitude piece fits in and others, this idea of spirituality. And spirituality, not in a sense of religion, but more in a sense that we are connected together, we're connected to everything around us. There's likely something bigger than us out there, right? If you call it God, universe, higher self, it doesn't really matter. We're all the same and it's this connection and then we all likely have a purpose. So that's where the spirituality piece comes in. Now, keep in mind, I'm someone that has a science background. So for me, I deal with hard facts. I like to look at the science. If it can be proven, I'm going to maybe not pay enough attention to it, right? But something within me about two years ago changed where I became more open-minded. And even more so that now I'm like, okay, there's so much more that we don't understand. And the science is slowly catching up. But I'm open to at least considering it and taking a look at it. Now, your question around gratitude and this particular episode actually was one of my favorites to record. This idea of a practice of gratitude came to me, I want to say maybe like seven, eight months ago, not that long ago, but it's a practice that once I put it into, into play, it changed my life for the better. And it's this simple idea that instead of always looking for more and more and more, which is fine, like we all want more than we have in most cases, is to take a quick inventory of what we have in our life and we can be grateful for. It can be as simple as the pillow you sleep on, the glass of water you're about to drink, anything in your life that if you were to be taken away tomorrow, you'll feel a bit of pain. And realize, wait a second, you know what? I have so much abundance around me that I can be grateful for this. And when your mindset shifts to a more positive mindset, everything in your life starts to shift as well. Because in life, we have two options. We can choose the path of fear or we can choose the path of love. And again, these are not just fancy words, but when I say love, it can be compassion, empathy, anything in there, right? Fear can be, of course, fear, anger. There's a big spectrum. And we cannot be in a state of both fear and love. If you think of it as like fear on the left side and love on the right side, there's a spectrum there, right? from like ultimate fear to the lowest level, and then it jumps into love. So you cannot exist in both states. So for example, if I asked you to right now to smile, to put a big smile on your face, in your audience, and then I tell you to get angry at something, it's going to be very hard for you to be doing that. 
because you shifted your vibration into such a high vibration of of being in love, right? Like not in the word in love, but like moving to the love side. It's very hard for you to now be on the negative side. Well, some people can flip a switch like that. You know what I'm saying? If, if you <laughs> yep, piss I'm them sitting off. across from one of those. <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you get angry for something, you know, your spouse does, not saying particularly, yeah. but yeah, you know. I, I mean, you can flip that, but I mean, like, if you have a smile on your face right now, Chris, yeah. can you get yourself to be pissed off? Within the same moment. I don't know. That's Christine. <laughs> he just does this like creepy smile when he's like, it's like the, I'm going to kill you. But I mean, you know, the, but no, you're right. It's their two opposite emotions. emotions. One where it's filled with, you know, positivity and warmth and the other one with angst. And I think, I don't know. I think of, anger is being like very like hot, like, and love being warm. So it's just two well, different. they're both warm, honey. Hot I and guess, warm. I guess. But, yeah. <laughs> yes, you're, you're not wrong. Absolutely. So, I mean, I guess, not sure if I answered fully your question, but that's why podcast is about, and I do two types of episodes, right? I, I, this is more recent. I pick a topic. I do my research. I look at what science says, like the gratitude piece, for example, and then I, I script out the episode as much as I can, and then I essentially talk about the topic. And if, for example, those of you interested in watching the gratitude episode or listening to it, it does go into the science. In fact, all 15 of the benefits I've listed there are all based on research that has come out over the last 20 years, and there's a lot of it. And that's just one practice, right? Of course, there's meditation and there's breath work and there's a gazillion other practices, some call them spiritual or otherwise, that one can bring into their life, they can transform their life. And that's what I've done over the last, I want to say 12 months, is create a practice in the morning and evening where I give time to myself for self-discovery, but also for self-love, self-grace, where I meditate, do breath work, do my gratitude and a, and a few other things as well. And I, I bring it to the podcast. So I would, you see episodes with people that specialize in meditation or different types of holistic healing, or they specialize in the physical realm, or they specialize in the emotional realm. You know, like I have therapists coming on the show, psychologists, right? Like people that have overcome something in their life and help others overcome things in life. And then they come on and we have a conversations like you and I are doing right now. Perfect. Well, Constantine, it seems like you have been on quite a journey from, I mean, your entire life. You are a very remarkable individual that has navigated a lot of different things in life and are very resilient. And so for our listeners that have been tuning in today, um, that are hearing more about you, your mentoring, and your podcast. If they're interested in reaching out to you to connect with you about your mentoring services um, or just to connect with you as an individual, where can they find more about you? Well, thank you, Christine, for that opportunity. So for the podcast itself, it's called Unleash Thyself. You can find it anywhere where you can find a podcast or even YouTube where we have the video version. There's a website, unleashedthyself.com, and you can also contact me there if you'd like to chat with me. Best way to connect with me directly would be LinkedIn. I'm under Constantine Bomorun, and that's where just friend me or send me a connection request, send me a message, and happy to chat about anything that we discussed today and beyond. And otherwise, you can find um, content I put on social media every day, either on TikTok, 
Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, around the Unleash Thyself handle. Awesome. Well, Constantine, we appreciate you being on the show and um, I appreciate you taking a little bit of time to allow me to be your uh, test case to walk through some of your questioning. I found it very helpful for me to reflect on and it's definitely given me food for thought and uh, we wish you all of the best. Can't wait to hear of your upcoming episodes and to see all of the great things that you do in life. And so thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Constantine. Thank you both for having me on the show and thank you to the audience. Thank you, thank you. Enjoyed listening to podcasts and ever wonder, can I make a podcast? But it seems so complicated and good audio production can take time. What if there was a way to create an amazing podcast easily? Well, now there is. Introducing Podcasting Made Easy from Podcasting Audio. My production team will handle your entire audio production, allowing you to be the star of your show. This is Podcasting Made Easy. How easy? Well, so easy, you don't even have to press record. Now that's easy. Your listeners are waiting. Let's deliver. Sign up for a free strategy call today at podcasticaudio.com slash easy. You know, just going back to what we were talking about right before Constantine came on the show, it just reinforced as he was talking what I was saying about like setting our intentions in life and just having a lot of clarity around what it is that we want to accomplish. I think that clarity is kindness, talking to each other about what we want to get out of life. It's just, it's going to help everybody feel happier and more fulfilled. A happiness is my always my goal when I enter a new year is to be happier than the previous year. And I think that a lot of us just kind of fall into the same routine. I guess it's kind of where the calendar is set up. Everything's kind of set up. I mean, every, every December, we always go into the Christmas mode and the lights and the Christmas presents and Santa Claus and all that stuff. And then you kind of fall into good New Year's and you kind of fall into the New Year's thing. And then after New Year's, you feel like a big giant reset. And some people get really depressed this time of year because they feel like all that whirlwind of like excitement and being around the holidays, it's like all this built up. Some people build it up for months and months and months. I mean, right. like, I mean, some people get all excited about Christmas before Halloween and yeah. they're like super getting into Christmas stuff. And then all of a sudden it's like all of it's over. So January becomes like this, like, oh, this, this kind of sucks. Like a car crash, you know? Yeah. I wonder if there's a big depression happens in January. I'm not talking just because of like, you know, I mean, the usual standards for depression, but I wonder if it's just because of all the holiday crash happens. It's like the letdown, right? It's like, well, the- not you let down. It's just, it's just, it's put everything away. It's like, I heard this thing happens too with people who are really into football. And right after the Super Bowl and the Pro Bowl, there's no football for like how many months, right? And they're really like, sad like there's a depression that happens because the thing they've done for so long they've been so excited about for so long is just over because people don't plan for how they're going to be fulfilled i think to find balance in life and so okay so i wanted to float out another idea that i had to you it's you know we were talking about the strategic planning meeting uh but i had i was having dinner with some girlfriends recently and I was asking them about how they balance the technical and like the romantic and logistical aspects of their relationship uh, when they are trying to navigate things like finances and business and things like this. And one of them had Jewel. She had a great idea. 
Um, I like Jewel. I know we love Jewel and Melissa. They're both fantastic. But I had this idea that Jewel came up with that I was wondering if you wanted to test out in our relationship. Are you open to hearing about it? Is it a red room or... um... (laughs) No. Oh, I don't know. I'm just asking. No, it goes along with the strategic planning. So I was telling the, the ladies about how we have Christine Smith Designs and we also have the Chris and Christine show and Podtastic Audio. And so they had the idea that, uh, because so now that you're off on weekends and our boys are getting a little bit older, we actually, they're old enough to be left at home for like an evening. Uh, like we can order them pizza or whatever while you and I go and grab dinner. And it's not that we're leaving them alone, but it's time for you and I to connect, especially since you know, our whole first five years of our relationship, all of our weekends were spent all with kids and not really getting the time for the two of us that we really need to be able to talk through things. And so, um, I, of course, we're going to, I really want to get into having date nights again, but the ladies had an idea for us that we schedule once a month Oh yeah, what's and that? we call it investor meetings between you and me. We go out to dinner together and it's a scheduled time and we talk business and about the podcast and our goals. What? Let, let me oh, finish. Oh. <laughs> You're getting so excited. What? But we break it up between talking about like how your business is going and what's working and strategize for that. We talk about the Chris and Christine show and how we're headed towards our goals and what's on the agenda. My love language. And then we talk about Christine Smith designs and then we look at the income, the expenses, what's going to be coming up and we met, set some priorities, but we call them investor meetings because they really are about the business and we can talk technical and I don't get to say to you, okay, no more talking about podcasts at dinner tonight. Yeah, that's Christine's uh, <laughs> go-to a lot. We try to shut me up about podcasting. I don't know because we talk about it nonstop. But if we were to have a set time once a month where we would have like, we call them our investor meetings. How would you feel about that? Investor sounds a little too technical. I love I, it though. I like to call it fun time meetings, you know, no. because it's podcasting. No, but it really is about we're investing in each other's businesses. You're right. You're right. It is. Mark and the then calendar. it's a write-off. Wait, it is? Yes. Because you're an investor in my business and I'm an investor in yours. Oh, even better. Even better. And I love that's it. why, because we are technically business partners as well as Look at you working on the deals. Look I at know, this. but I was, I really... Because I think what happens is in a relationship, you can get so intermixed between like the business and the relationship where it feels like you can never escape the technical stuff. And I, our listeners know this, I'm a Hallmark junkie. I'm a romantic at heart. I think I need separation from the technical but I also know that your love language is being able to talk about the technical. So would you think that maybe we could try something like that in 2024? 2024 is my year, baby. I told you it's the very beginning of the podcast <laughs> and, and it closed out with, a, with amazing, amazing news. I love it. I love it so much. I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Well, then let's think about it and let's see how we can schedule that. And, you know, so for our listeners out there, you've been hearing Chris and I talk through some of the things of what we want to try. We're not making resolutions. We're trying to make uh, 
calibrations, like a mechanic. Yeah, bring it all back, baby. Circle, circle back. You gotta circle that back, baby. Circle back. Uh, but I really think that you know, as you step into this new year, it's not about throwing out the old, but it's thinking about how to adjust in the new year to be able to bring about the lifestyle that you always wanted. And I know that we have all of these things that we enjoy doing. So it's just figuring out how they fit within our life. Awesome, babe. I love it. Did I surprise you with the things I brought up today? Uh, yeah, that was great. That's amazing. I do love this idea. idea. I love it so much. So awesome. the question is, where are we going to go for our investor meetings? Well, if we're writing this all off. It has to be, <laughs> I knew that. <laughs> it, has to be, it has to be the finest, finest dime no. possible, you know. No, like, it could be nice. It doesn't have to be fancy. It could be Denny's. Um, we'll go better than Denny's. How's that? I love Denny's. You don't. Uh, you know what? I, okay. Denny's for me, was always a place you go to after being at the bar in the club because it was the only place that was open. You could sit down, have breakfast, pancakes, whatever, and kind of get your hangover and kind of like, you know, get back to, you know, kind of like, uh, get sober, I guess, have coffee, whatever. And they were always are open. So that's that or taco shop. So he loved those too. But, but Denny's, also, I used to go there in the way to, way to school in the morning was the place I'd stop at. Yeah. So good old days. But think about this, honey. Think about once a month us saying, okay, tonight's, or, you know, earlier in the week, we say, okay, it's investor meeting. Uh, where are we going to go? And we make a reservation. We take our notepads. We get ourselves dressed up a little bit and we have a business dinner together. It feels so corporate and professional and fun. It does. I, think, kind of, I feel like I take my secretary out. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, we hope that you've got guys. A lot. It's, it's not advised. Take your secretary out. Your wife might find out. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to call me your secretary, but um, thank you for not. Well, if you have gotten a lot of good info out of this episode, then please definitely subscribe to our podcast. Leave us a great review, um, and then where can people find out more about us and this week's guests and our past guests? Yeah, you can go on and head over to chrisandchristineshow.com. Link to it in the show notes way down below with all the other links. It's down there, chrisandchristineshow.com. And thank you so much for listening. And we'll be back with you next, next week. week.